Welcome to the AUSA podcast. I'm Brenna, the Director of Student Activities. Luke, the podcast producer here. In order to foster connections, encourage community, and create fun, we host the podcast each week. We're here to help you navigate life on campus, life as a college student, and how to see God in both. We're so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hey, welcome back to the AUSA podcast. Happy Friday. Um, it's just me this week. Um, the post homecoming week craziness kind of got to us all in our own ways. And uh, we decided on a really different episode um, this week, just much chiller. Um, it's just a little different. You'll see. Um, we've been in this um, five part series on hospitality and uh, we're wrapping it up. It's the last one. Um, we talked with some really cool people, uh, some really great people, some really wise people um, and got their insight on what hospitality is, what that looks like in practice um, and sort of the different faces of hospitality, the different facets of a hospitable life and a hospitable heart. Um, first, we talked with Bethany Turner. She was on in season one and way back in season one. And we had her on again, invited her on. We love Bethany. Um, she just helped us define hospitality and get to a spot where we were comfortable moving forward in the series um, and kind of got us on the same page so that we could get our guests on the same page um, and then jump off from there. Yeah, we nailed down some really helpful insights in that episode about what hospitality is, um, maybe more importantly, what hospitality isn't and what some of the misconceptions are around like um, specifically entertainment versus hospitality. Um, entertainment is this one thing that has kind of um, like a give and take and like you need to um, kind of put out the best napkins and uh, all of these things. But uh, hospitality is sometimes really uh, spontaneous and um, not ragging on entertainment to say that entertaining your friends and family is a bad thing. Um, it's just easily mistaken for hospitality sometimes. And I think it can be both. I think entertainment can be hospitable. Um, but hospitality is not always entertainment. And I think we make that distinction really well in that episode uh, with the help of Bethany. Um, next, we talked with um, Austin Barrett and Cassie Weber about um, what hospitality looks like specifically in the res life world. Um, what does it mean to turn a college campus into a home? Um, and there were some really good insights there, um, just about making your space your own and about finding community and inviting people in, whether that's into your space, like your dorm room, or um, to share a park bench with you, or I, I guess maybe one of the benches by Thrift or um, onto your uh, blanket on the front lawn or into your friend group or whatever, and just showing people um, the importance of space. We really talked about the importance of space a lot in the episode. It was a really special one, I think. And Austin and Cassie have really, um, really good insights into those things. Um, and then we talked about sort of our own philosophy and thought behind hospitality and, and what we do here at Student Activities and um, what the campus activities team like sets out to achieve um, during a thing like Welcome Week. Um, that one kind of got like 
lost in the hustle and bustle of life. So if you didn't catch that one, go back and listen. Um, there's a pretty good one. Uh, Brenna, who's on every every week usually, and then um, our friends Isabella and Corey had a lot of really, really good stuff to say about kind of just really peeling back the curtain um, and, and showing maybe a little bit of the behind the scenes of what we do. Um, here at Student Activities on the Campus Activities team, what we're trying to set out to do, and um, maybe how you can do some of those things too. Um, you don't need a gold name tag or a title of insert campus ministry leader um, to or alpha leader or whatever, whatever thing, right? You don't need a you don't really need a title to be a leader and to to intentionally make hospitable spaces all around you. Um, spaces of compassion and kindness um, and inclusivity and all those things. Um, you don't need you don't need anything special to do that. You already have what you need. And we kind of talk about that in that episode. And then, I mean, like I said, also give a little bit of the behind the scenes of what we're all about. Um, and then last, uh, last week we took a break. The week before, um, we talked with a good friend of student activities, um, Sam Walker. He graduated a couple years ago and is actually now on staff here um, at AU um, doing some things with first-year experience. So that's really exciting. But Sam came on and talked about the inherent hospitality of the gospel and what that looks like, what that means um, for us, uh, how that is such good news that um, there's hospitality for us. And uh, we also talked about how can we extend that hospitality to other people? Um, what does uh, what does prayer and Christian living and practice have to do with uh, the immediate areas around us, um, uh, with hospitality, with uh, really anything? Um, how can we transform our tables into outposts for the mission of God. And we talk about um, this brilliant, brilliant book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key um, by this woman, Rosaria Butterfield. Um, It's a great read. Uh, If you haven't read it, I would highly recommend it. Um, It really shifted a lot of the ways I think about how I am approaching just situations. Um, But anyway, yeah, so that's kind of the overview of what we've been doing, what we've been talking about. And this week, uh, we're capping it off by talking about homecoming. And we thought about releasing this on uh, recording this and releasing this last week and, and on Friday, releasing on Friday. But with just the craziness of homecoming week, um, that dream did not pan out. But it would have been perfect, right? Homecoming. And uh, that's what we're talking about. Um yeah, so all of that to say, to preface, um, this is a different episode uh, because I think that there is no better model for homecoming and the overwhelming welcome of someone who loves you um, after you've been away than uh, Luke 15. Um, there's this story that Jesus told when... Um, Jesus had, we, we, we've talked about this a lot this series, but Jesus had a tendency to, um, specifically in Sam's episode, hang out with, uh, people I think that we wouldn't think of God hanging out with. Um, 
he hung out with the kind of shorthand is tax collectors and sinners. Um, but what that's actually getting at is uh, Jesus entertained and was entertained a lot of times and was shown hospitality and showed hospitality too, right? To make that distinction. Uh, a lot of times by a pretty rough crowd um, of prostitutes, of like day laborers, which were usually pretty salty. Um, and whether that's like a, a mason layer person, I don't really know what that's called. Uh, oh, what, like a brick mason, I guess that would be called. Or like a fisherman, like most of his disciples were. Um, or he would be found with tax collectors, which um, there's a lot of cultural baggage here about like how we understand tax collectors as like an IRS agent with like, rah, rah, rah. Um, but um, way back in ancient Judea, uh, and the Roman Empire, specifically around Galilee and Jerusalem, um, the tax collectors were usually Jewish. Um, not always, but a lot of the tax collectors were Jewish because it was a, a, being a tax collector was a great station in life. Um, but if you were Jewish and also a tax collector, that mean that meant that you worked for the Roman government. Um, the Roman government was oppressing all of the Jewish people in really in, in Judea, um, in, in that greater area. So obviously there was some, uh, dissent between, um, the working class Jews and the tax collecting Jews. Uh, I mean, of course you can imagine. And, um, the last kind of group that Jesus kind of hung out with sometimes were these like religious zealots, like these like people that were like long awaiting the Messiah, um, and they were kind of crazy. Jesus's um, cousin, John the Baptist, falls into this category of sort of like religious, like really like a like a freak, like a fanatic. I mean, John the Baptist was kind of a freak. He kind of went out into the wilderness and ate locusts and honey. And that's like not normal behavior. Um, and actually, one of Jesus's disciples, um, who we don't know much about him, but... Um, the name that was kind of given to him was Simon the Zealot um, because he was also a part of this movement and forsook it to uh, follow Jesus, as did um, Matthew, right? Matthew forsook being a tax collector um, to follow Jesus. And uh, Peter and James and John, all of them, they forsook, um, and many, many more, right? Um, being fishermen uh, and kind of these day laborers to follow Jesus. And so that kind of sets up the scene for Jesus is hanging out with this like salty, rough and rowdy group of people, um, probably having dinner. Maybe he was talking to them. Honestly, probably both. Jesus ate a lot of food a lot of the time. Most of Jesus's most profound messages come from around a dinner table with this type of crowd. Um, and all of the uh, religious leaders of the day who are really, really pious, um, you might know them called like Pharisees, um, the Sadducees were another group, and then there were the sort of scribes and the other teachers and rabbis. Um, they all began to like, at this specific time, they were like, what, what are you doing, man? Um, Jesus. <laughs> and uh, they would reprimand Jesus for this. Mainly because, I mean, they thought that these people were the worst of the worst, right? Sinners. And, and they were, right? They were 
sinners. Um, but they thought that they were too far gone for the kingdom of God. Um, they didn't even, I mean, they didn't even have that language, the kingdom of God. So they just thought, I mean, well, what they thought is that they're breaking religious law all of the time. And that because they're sort of unclean, um, ceremonially and physically, right? Like morally at all, all of the things like Jesus too is breaking religious law. So, um, I think the Pharisees, we really give them a, a hard time too much, too much of the time because, yeah, they, I mean, they missed the mark by a long shot and we shouldn't kind of discount that. But they also were like doing things that they thought were right, right? They were really convicted and hard pressed about this, this law and the letter of the law and how holy and sacred it was. And so when they saw people breaking it, they, they really wanted to see something done about that. Um, but I mean, as we see in the gospels, Jesus presents a better way. Anyway, that brings us to kind of already, that brings us to Luke 15. Um, and this is one of my favorite, um, passages of scripture. Um, you might know it off the top of your head because that's where the parable of the lost sheep is and the parable of the lost coin is, and the prodigal son, uh, parable is, Henry Nowen, who was a, I think, a counselor and a priest, um, a pastor, all of the things, he wrote an amazing little book called The Return of the Prodigal Son. And it's actually, a, it's a meditation on this painting by Rembrandt. Um, and he kind of uses the painting to talk about the story. But he uh, thinks that a better name for this uh, parable because Jesus didn't name it right. The people who put your ESV or NASB or NLT or the message or whatever um, who put that together named it. Um, but uh, he thinks that a better name for this story um, is the parable of two sons because it really tells a story about um, a son who needs to be welcomed back and a son who needs to be called in. Um, and you'll see, I'm about to read it, um, and it is pretty long, but it's really good. So just sit back and um, relax, maybe, if not if you're driving. <laughs> I don't know how people listen to this, but if you're sitting in your room, maybe grab a cup of tea, um, a little bit of coffee, and uh, just listen. Jesus said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that is coming to me. And so he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey to a distant country. And there he squandered his estate in wild living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began doing without so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he longed to have his fill of the carob pods that the pigs were eating, and no one was giving him anything. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired laborers have more than enough bread, but I am dying here from hunger. 
I will set out and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired laborers. So he set out and came to his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, slaughter it and let's eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be about. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in, and his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you never gave me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has begun now to live and was lost and has now been found. Oh, I love it. Um, yeah, I, I just am so struck by that story um, because like we all know, I mean, maybe you don't. And that's maybe even better because you don't have the sort of the... I think there's a lot of baggage to this story because we hear it so much. Um, so if you don't know, then that's really cool. Um, but we all know that this is like, this is our story, right? This is us and this is God and blah, blah, blah. Um, but really, and none of this is my insight. This is mostly Henry Nouwen's um, work in his book that I mentioned. Um, we're, we're not just the younger son. We're the older son too. Um, I, actually, one of my friends, uh, one of my best friends, uh, he told me that his dad one time after a sermon at church, they were driving back, and he said, uh, "Look, you're going to go through your life thinking that you are the younger son, and it's going to create a lot of problems for you because you will more often be the older son." Um, and I think. I mean, Henry Nowen says similar things in his book, and I think that's really true. Um, I mean, for me at least, maybe you're hearing that and you're like, what in the world? I don't know about that. But more often than not, we're not the ones, uh, more often than not, we're not the ones receiving hospitality like this. Um, sometimes we are, and and when it's God, we are, right? Um, more often than not, we are the ones who are refusing to show hospitality to others. We're refusing to show hospitality to someone who um, devoured, quote, our wealth with prostitutes or someone else's wealth, right? Anyone who's maybe like left you with a, a bad taste of them in your mouth or um, 
you just like would rather, you know, I, I don't hate them, but I don't like them. You know what I mean? Um, something that I always say, because I think, uh, it's kind of funny, but it also calls me out a little bit, um, is that I am called to love that person. Um, which is just this like semantic way of saying that I don't like them and, and I am called to love them, but I don't. Um, and we do that all the time. Right. And so I, this story reminds me if nothing else, um, that one, there's always a place at home with God. Um, right. Like even when we're out in the field feeding pigs and squandering our father's estate, our inheritance with wild living and debauchery and all these things, um, really at, at its base, choosing the way that is opposite the way our father would have us go. Um, when we're doing all of that, even when we've been doing it for years and years and years, um, there's a place for us at home, at the table, always. And it's not just an empty house that we'll return to. Um, it's a full house where there's a feast and there is a fattened calf, which, man, I don't know if you uh, know anything about the customs of uh, ancient family life, but the fattened calf is like the meal um, to have. And I'm sure there was a lot more good food. Um, Another cool thing that kind of gets lost in our Eastern mind is like the ancient dads, like patriarchs, right? They don't run. They don't hike up their robes. They don't kick off their sandals um, to run out and and do anything, right? So the fact that that is the reaction of this dad who sees his son coming in from a long way off, he kicks off his sandals, he hikes up his his robes, and he runs through the fields to meet him and runs over this dusty, probably bumpy, rocky, sharp road, um, for a long way, right? Because his son is a long way off. It says, um, to meet him is a beautiful, has beautiful implications. I think for God's reaction to seeing us, um, come even when we're still a long way off, seeing us start to make the journey back to him. And, uh, yeah. And another thing is, I think it's really cool how the father, like it, he notices his son coming from a long way off, which means that like he's waiting and he's watching for him um, with like that eager expectation and, and maybe moves with something that moves from beyond naive hope uh, to a more complete, like he knows that eventually, or, or he really truly believes that eventually his son will come home. Okay talked about the younger son, talked about the father. We've talked about the older son. Um, I think also we are, as we're the younger son and the older son in the same moment, we're called to become the father, right? We're called to welcome people home, um, right? We've been, for, for some of you, you're thinking like, well, I've never had this sort of big wayward experience. Um, little things count too, but like maybe you're even thinking like, I, I don't really resonate with the younger son. Well, I have really tough news for you. Um, cause you might resonate with the older son. Um, and when I realized this, I mean, it wrecked me. Like 
And the father says to him, son, you've always been with me and all that is mine is yours. Um, the, the older son, two things are happening with him. He is failing to recognize that the father's compassion, um, and eagerness and joy and all of these things that the father has, he has as well. He, he has always been with him and all that is the father's is the older son's. Um, but he's failing to recognize that. And so, and because of that failure as a direct result of it, he's refusing to recognize the, his younger brother's worthiness of a hospitable and compassionate and kind and gentle response. Um, and he refuses. He, he refuses to go into the party. He just, we don't know what happens of the older brother. We know that the younger brother gets celebrated and is adorned with robes and rings and all of these things, a little rhyming moment for you there. <laughs> and the father continues probably to be a loving and kind and compassionate father to his two sons, to both of them. Um, right. That's crazy to me too, that despite the frustrations of this father, I'm sure toward his like eldest son, um, he still speaks so gently to him. Um, in that last verse or last couple of verses, um, even after such a response is like so visceral and, and, and really cruel, like, um, I've been with you this whole, like I've been serving you and I've never disobeyed a word that you've said to me. What do you, why are you celebrating this wayward son who's been off, you know, whoring your wealth away? Um, and his response is, Hey, like just, we have to celebrate, right? Like your little brother is, was for lack of a better term dead. And now he's alive again. Um, doesn't that make you happy? And we don't get his response. He probably is just out sulking and uh, has a lot to think about. And so I'm going to challenge you to think about um, that story and just meditate on that and think about like, in which ways do I see myself becoming the father? In which ways do I see myself refusing the call by the father to become the father? Um, how am I like the, the elder son? Um, how am I refusing hospitality to other people? And how am I like the younger son? How am I squandering my inheritance away? Um, and how am I like the younger son in that I have been received with the most compassionate, joyful arms in, in the warmest embrace that there has ever been? Um, yeah, just think about that um, this week. And um Real quick, before we leave, I want to read, um, there's a, a great little book called Every Moment Holy. It is a, it's a collection of liturgies. What a liturgy is, it's essentially just a written down prayer um, for reading and reciting. And um, if you're from maybe an Anglican or Episcopalian or Catholic um, tradition, then you're well acquainted with liturgies. Uh, but I know, I mean, I grew up... Uh, like in a really, in kind of, I mean, you know, the Baptist bubble <laughs> and, um, there's nothing wrong with being Baptist, but I think there's something wrong with the Baptist bubble. Anyways, I did not know about liturgies until maybe my 
freshman year of college, um, and I got this little book, and it has blessed me immensely. Um, it's really cool, actually. I read uh, I re- uh, Dr. Wyma and I in her episode about grief and suffering and disappointment, um, the art of having a good, bad day. Um, great episode. Go catch it if you didn't. We read a few at the end um, from the second volume, which is more about, um, it was really during the pandemic, and it's it's kind of bleak, but it gives hope in, in really hard times. But this one is from the first volume, which is like, a, a, it's just a bunch of, really a bunch of these prayers for, I mean, uh, here, I'll flip through and read you some of them. Um, a liturgy before beginning a book. Um, and then there's also one for finishing a beloved book. Um, a liturgy for those who sleep in tents. A liturgy for the labors of community, for changing diapers, for doing laundry, for for waiters and waitresses, for beekeeping, uh, for the hurried preparation of a meal, for battling a destructive desire, for dating, for giving, for shopping, for one who has suffered a nightmare, for the death of a dream, for those who have not done great things for God. Yeah, so if like, and and many, many, many more. It is like genuinely is like 280 pages of pure gas. I, there's no other way to describe it. But like I said, this one is from the first volume. Maybe you don't resonate with this story at all. You're like, I don't like my dad. <laughs> I don't uh, like my parents. I don't love them. I don't feel loved by them. I... Um, don't feel like I have a home, uh, whether it's, I don't have a home where I grew up or I don't have a home here at Anderson. Um, maybe that's you and you're listening to this and you don't really get it. And you just feel bummed about this whole series. Um, here is a liturgy for you. It's from, if you have this book, um, I know it's getting more popular and you want to follow along, it's page 222. Um, It is a liturgy for an inconsolable homesickness. Let me steward well, Lord Christ, this gift of homesickness, this grieving for a childhood gone, this ache for distant family, lost fellowship, past laughter, shared lives, and the sense that I was somewhere I belonged. It is a good, good thing to have a home. But now that I've gone from it, let me steward well, O oh God, this homesick gift, as I know my wish for what has been is not some solitary ache, but is woven with a deeper longing for what will one day be. This yearning to return to what I knew is, even more than that, a yearning for a place my eyes have yet to see. So let me steward this sacred yearning well. Homesickness is indeed a holy thing, like the slow burning of an immortal beacon set ablaze to bid us onward. The shape of that ache for another time and place is the imprint of eternity within our souls. So let those sorrows do their work in me, O God. Let them stir such yearnings as would fix my journey forward toward that place for which I've always pined. O my soul, have there not always been signs? O my soul, were we not born with hearts on fire? 
before we were old enough to even know why songs and waves and starlight so stirred us had we not already tiptoed to the edge of that vast sadness bright and good and felt ourselves somehow stricken with a sickness unto life hardly had we ventured from our yards when we felt ourselves so strangely far from something and somewhere that we despaired of ever reaching, that we turned to hide the welling of our eyes. We knew it, even then, as the opening of a wound this world cannot repair. The first birthing of that weight every soul must wake up to alone, because it is the burden of that wild and lonely space that only God in his eternity can fill. And as we wait, the sacred homesick sorrow works in us to cultivate a faith that knows one day he will. That is the holy work of homesickness, to teach our hearts how lonely they have always been for God. So let these sighs and tears, Lord Christ, prepare me for that better gladness that will be mine. Let all your children learn to grieve well in this life, knowing we are not just being homesick, we are letting sorrow carve the spaces in our souls that joy will one day fill. O oh, Holy Spirit, bless our grief and seal our hearts until that day. Amen. Thanks for listening to this episode. Um, I'm really interested to see how it will do. Um, it was a really different one, and I had a ton of fun, and I hope you um, got something from this. I hope you got something from this series. Um, it was a lot of fun to make and plan and record um, and laugh about and um, almost cry about in a couple different episodes. Um, but yeah, um, take that with you. Take that liturgy with you as you move through your, your week or your month or your year um, and you feel, you know, maybe you're a freshman and you're like, man, I, I really want to go home. Um, or maybe you're a senior and you are really unsure about what to do, but you know that um, you don't want to go home. Um, it helps knowing our true home, and I really think that that liturgy is a beautiful reminder of who that is, So, as well as Luke 15, of course. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, we will see you next time. Bye. Can we plug our own product? Is that an option? <laughs> I think we can. If you're not already reading the 411 every week, it is like the most vital of emails. I really think that you should. It's one of the best ways that you can get connected. It's the way that you can jump in on new things if you haven't tried something yet. So read the 411. With all the love in my heart, read the 411. This might feel a little random to you, but it doesn't to us. Our team really loves the local church. And if you haven't gotten plugged into a local body just yet, here's an open invitation. Ask any of our team if you can go to church with us. We'd love to have you. Just in case you didn't know about this, SGA meetings, which are typically held on Monday nights, are open to all of campus. If you've got a brilliant idea, I'm sure that they would love to hear it. Those meeting details are in the 411, and you can just pop in if you'd like to go.
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the AUSA podcast. If you enjoyed this conversation, do us a favor and share it with your friends. And if you have any thoughts or questions, you can DM us on Instagram at AE411. Speaking of, to keep up with all things student activities, visit our Instagram at AE411. And if you want to get texts from us, we can send you some reminders. You can text AU411 to 833 We promise no spam, only fun. For more information on events in general outside of just student activities or to RSVP for anything, you can head over to A United. Thanks to the band Tents for our intro song, Insert Some Quarters, and our break music, Champ Call. Special thanks to Anderson University's Makerspace, where we record our episodes, to our guests this week, to the event coordinators that planned the upcoming events, and to everyone who devoted their time, energy, and wisdom to the resources used in this episode. Again, and as always, thanks for listening. See you next time.